dismissed, please pass the, the pew pads. But I also want to make two more announcements so that they can stick in your brain. The very first one is that our ever-present, ever-helpful, ever-volunteering sound man, Lee Gehring, is turning the big 6-0 today. All right? So happy birthday. I won't sing because that would not be a birthday gift. Uh, but that is a, a celebration that's worth celebrating. Give him a big hug, a clap on the back. Congratulations. And uh, say congratulations to Wanda because she's been married to him for a long time. We are so thankful for them and all of their volunteering and what they do. And that brings me to our next really quick announcement that this week, all of our Wednesday night midweek events begin. Our Echo Mid, our Awana, and our prayer meeting, as well as some women's ministry things happening that you can find out about. We are super excited about those. Uh, so I just wanted to point your attention to that, that this Wednesday it all begins. Well, let us turn our hearts to prayer one more time as we are going to dive into the new part of our series and the story of Elijah. Father, we are so grateful for your word. I thank you that we are able to dive into the Word every single day, and your Spirit illuminates the truth of the Word of God. Your Spirit empowers us to live out the Word of God. And so, God, we just pray that you will be present with us. Holy Spirit of the living God, fall fresh upon us. And I pray that you will make this Word come true and alive in our hearts, not just in our minds for information, but in our lives for transformation. In your holy and precious name we pray, amen, amen. Well, I don't know about you, but I'm having a ton of fun on this story series as we've been walking through each individual Old Testament hero, and the Bible is fun. It should never be boring, it should never be drab, it should never be one of those things that you read and you fall asleep because it's so boring to you, but when the Holy Spirit alivens your heart and your soul and your mind and your ears and your eyes to see the Word of God, oh, Man, that is some exciting stuff. And we're going to be looking at the story of Elijah, and the title of this morning's message is Faith-Filled Obedience. As we look at Elijah's story, it'll, it'll really open your eyes to see the man of God that he was and how we can apply the truth of his own story. I may have shared this uh, story before, but when I was 26, year, 26 years old, which is 11 years ago now, uh, I was in the checkout line at Giant Eagle on the north side. I was a uh, middle school youth pastor, and as I was coming up to the clerk at the checkout line, I had noticed that she had cuts on her arm. It was clear that she had been cutting, and, and I heard the Holy Spirit say, minister to her, tell her about me. And it was one of those things where, you know, like, I'm 26, she's 19, that could be a real awkward thing, and so, you know, I didn't do it. And every time I went to Giant Eagle for about a month, every time I went to that Giant Eagle, all the other lines were packed except hers. So I would consistently go through her line. And the Holy Spirit every time said, minister to her, talk to her about me. She needs me. Well, I didn't do it. And then God brought her to Allegheny Center Alliance Church where I was serving at the time. And as a youth pastor, we had an intern that would come in and he would help us out from time to time. And his girlfriend, lo and behold, was this young lady. I still did not talk to her about Jesus. It is one of the biggest regrets of my entire ministry life 
because I can't sit there and blame myself for anything that would have happened to her, but I can say that I had an opportunity to bring the truth of the gospel to someone who was hurting, and I didn't do it. That was mediocre Christianity. We are called to so much more than just living our daily lives. If we listen and we open up our ears and our hearts, the Spirit of God is consistently speaking, giving us open opportunities to proclaim His truth, to proclaim who He is, and we need to take those opportunities. Because believers move from mediocrity to maturity through obedience. We are to obey the voice of the Lord. But just like I did, there's constantly ex- making excuses that, that we do in our, in our lives. When we hear the Holy Spirit call us to something, a purpose or a process or a person to share the gospel, we can easily make excuse after excuse after excuse. And I am the same. I'm no different. As I share stories of times that I mess up, I'm sharing with you that I'm not perfect at this stuff. And as we read through the scriptures, as as I prepare sermons to preach, they're always being preached to me first. And this is one of those messages. And I love the story of Elijah because Elijah is a man just like us, as the book of James says. He was not this super awesome rock star that we put him on a pedestal because James declares that we are just like Elijah. Elijah is just like us. And so his story can tell us how we can walk in obedience. And we can walk in faith-filled obedience just like Elijah did. And so we're going to look at how we can move from mediocrity to maturity by walking in faith-filled obedience. We're going to be looking at 1 Kings 16.33 just to set some context, and then we'll be looking at 17.1-7. The uh, passages will be on the screen. You can uh, turn, t- turn there in your Bibles right now if you want to, uh, or you can just read on the screen. So here it is, 16.33, and Ahab made an Asherah. Ahab did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. 1 Kings 17, 1 through 7. Now Elijah the Tishbite of Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah, Depart from here and turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. You shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. He went and lived by the brook Cherith, that is east of the Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening. And he drank from the brook. And after a while... The brook dried up because there was no rain in the land. Now, if you know your history of King Ahab, you will know that he was a terrible king, as the scripture itself says. He had married a woman named Jezebel who loved a different god, the god named Baal. And Jezebel was a controlling wife, and Ahab was a weak man. He allowed Jezebel to rule through him. He was the king, but he obeyed every single thing that Jezebel told him to do. 
He followed her orders. She controlled every aspect of his life and every aspect of his reign. And he was supposed to lift up the the God of Israel, but instead he built an Asherah, which is a place of worship for Baal. And he created all different places of worship for Baal because Jezebel had him by the strings. She controlled him. She was the puppet master. If there was ever a time that the beginning of the story of a man being whipped by his wife, this is it. He would do everything and anything she said. And this is the background of which Elijah comes into. Now, Ahab would do what Jezebel said, and Jezebel was an angry woman. If anybody stood up against Ahab or her, she would bring death and and terror upon these people. She was not a nice lady by any stretch of the imagination. And so as Elijah comes on the scene, this is not a safe time to speak out in this generation. As we look at how Elijah responds with faith-filled obedience, I believe he gives us six keys that you and I can apply to our own lives on how to walk in faith-filled obedience. And the first key we see is the key of purpose. Point number two is our origins cannot hinder God's purpose in our lives. Our origins cannot hinder God's purpose in our lives. He was a Tishbite of Tishbe from Gilead. Now, the author is purposely pointing out not just Elijah's name, but his origins. This was a place that was so remote that we don't have any clue as to where it was today. This place, Tishbe, was unknown. It was not one of those places that you would anticipate a prophet of the Lord to come from. It was so obscure that it was needed to put into this passage to show that Elijah has really awkward origins. That someone like Elijah should never be allowed or should never be able to get before the king. He was a backwater dude who no one would even know about. We know where Gilead is, but we have no idea where Tishbe is. We know it's in that area somewhere. But he lived in obscurity. He came from origins that you would never anticipate that he could live out this purpose. And I think that that's an important application for us because as believers, each and every one of us is called to a purpose. Each and every one of us is called by the Holy Spirit to live out the gospel, to proclaim the gospel, to speak to this generation about the beauty of the cross, the beauty of the resurrection. And it doesn't matter where we came from. That can be one of our easiest excuses. Well, you know, no one's going to listen to me because I came from this backwater place, or you don't know my parents, you don't know what I've done, you have no idea the origins of my life, I have, I have nothing, no ability, I'm, I'm worthless because of where I come from, or because of what I've done, or because of who I am. But if Elijah's story at the very beginning can teach us anything, is that God's purposes cannot be thwarted by our origins. We cannot utilize that as an excuse Because he is an image of who we are, as James says. That he was a man of obscurity, one that would never be anticipated to be a prophet, but yet God called him to be a prophet. And the author makes this point very clear in the beginning. There's one commentator who also highlights the name of Elijah, 
And he said his name declares his theological mission, for it means Yahweh is my God. And his name is highlighted on purpose. Yahweh is my God. He comes in as Elijah saying, Yahweh is my God, not Baal. And I'm going to come in and declare something that God wants me to declare to you. This was one of those weird things. How did an obscure guy get before the king? We have no idea how that transpired. It probably was miraculous because if you know anything about kings, you need to have a, a proper attire. You have to have proper background to be in front of the king. And they ask you, why are you coming in front of the king? And I guarantee you, if Elijah was like, I'm going to rebuke Jezebel and Ahab to let me in. I don't think they would have let him in. This was a miraculous moment where he came into this scene. And Elijah proclaimed the truth of his name, Yahweh is my God. Yahweh should be your God, but you are failing to have Yahweh as your God. How often do we do the same where we put other things above God? Where we say, okay, you know, God is, is kind of like over here, but this other thing is a little bit more important. Ahab and Jezebel put Baal on top of everything, and God was sick of it. God was tired of it. The king is to lead people to the Lord, not lead people to Baal. This brings us to the second key, and that's the key of prayer. Prayer must always precede action. Prayer must always precede action. In James 5, 17 through 18, as I've been mentioning, it says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruits. Elijah didn't just walk in unannounced. He declared a powerful declaration against the king. You see, water and rain were vital to life of all Israel. They were an agricultural people where they needed the land to be moist in order for the plants to grow, in order for people to continue to live because they needed the rain. But God was tired of it. But what's beautiful that we see here, if you were to look at the NIV or some other translations, the ESV says there will be no rain these days. But we look in retrospect to what James said, and in the NIV they put these three years. You will not have rain for three years. But James says that it was dry for three years and six months, which means that Elijah had been praying for six months already. Before Elijah came before the king, he was spending time in prayer as James informs us. That this transpired because God had put it upon his heart to pray. Elijah wanted to see people make Yahweh their God again. It was his theological mission. It was his passion. It wasn't just his name. His name was who he was. That was the fervor that burnt within him. And so he prayed and prayed, and prayed, and prayed. For three years and six months, there was no rain. He comes in at what many commentators would believe would be the, the October type of month, and in Israel, that is the time when the first rains really come and nourish the land. That is when harvest transpires, and there was no rain. 
And so Elijah comes in and explains, there will be no rain until I say so. Now you might think, wow, Elijah, you're pretty arrogant, (laughs) saying that it's all about what your word is and what you say. But he was so bathed in prayer. He was so bathed in what the Lord was saying to him that he would know when to say, Lord, bring the rain. He prayed for no rain, and then he prayed for rain. And James continues, the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. And he was spending time with Yahweh, his God, hearing what God was asking him to pray for, and he prayed for it. So that when he would say the word, he knew that it would be God's word to the people. This was not a tirade of an arrogant man, but a declaration of a praying man. A praying man. Warren Wearsby gives us this timeline that I had mentioned. It's likely that Elijah appeared before King Ahab in October, about the time of the early rains that they should have begun. There had been no rain for six months from April to October, and the prophet announced that there would be no rain for the next three years. Elijah's life shows us the power and the importance of prayer. James purposely points this out for us to see that this transpired through prayer. And in the CMA, one of our core values is prayer. Point number four is that prayer is the primary work of God's people. Prayer is the primary work of God's people. It is so vital to our denomination that we make it a core value. Before we do anything, before there's any action, before there's anything that we say or anything that we declare or anything that we speak, prayer should be first. How often do we speak or type on our computers, on social media, or act without praying first? My friends, we must be a people of prayer. Howard Hendricks A wonderful, wonderful uh, professor of preaching says this, You show me an individual who is communicating with his generation spiritually, and I will show you a man who is communicating with his God. And that's powerful. He continues, You will have nothing to say to this generation or the next unless God first speaks to you. Are we praying and asking the Lord to speak to us first before we do anything? Are we pausing and asking the Lord, what would you have me do? What would you have me say? What would you have me type, (laughs) if anything? There have been many times where I have thought to write something on social media and the Spirit of God was like, eh, nah, nah. And so I deleted it and didn't do it. If we would just pray first, we would have that sensitivity. And I think it would change conversations. It would change how we interact online and in person. Prayer is the primary work of God's people. May we sit and pray before we do anything. In the book of Acts, Jesus said, I need you to wait for the Holy Spirit before you do anything. Wait upon him. And they waited, and they waited, and they prayed, and they waited. If the disciples need to wait for the voice of the Lord and the Holy Spirit to fill them, how much more (coughs) do you and I? 
The third key is the key of fearlessness. The living Lord dispels fear and instills faith. The living Lord dispels fear and instills faith. When Elijah storms into the throne room, and that's how I see this particular thing going on, where he just rushes in and he says this big declaration. But the very first thing he says before he gives what's going to happen, he says, The Lord lives. The Lord lives. You're treating God like he's dead. You're treating God like he's nothing. You're treating God like he has nothing to do or nothing to say into this time. But the Lord of Israel, Yahweh, lives. Not only is Yahweh my God, but he is alive. And you have offended him greatly with how you are leading Israel. That's what gave Elijah the passion and the ability and the strength and the fearlessness to go before Ahab. This was not safe. I'm sure Jezebel was sitting there like, kill him now. Let's do it. Come on, Ahab. Talk to him. Beat him up. Get him out of here. But he went in without fear because the Lord lives. Through Elijah's time of prayer, he didn't just know about God. He knew God. He knew God's guidance. He knew God's direction. He was sensitive to the voice of God and the inner push of what God is saying. The living Lord instills within us faith. You'll see common themes through each and every one of these stories. You'll see common realities of the people who were heroes in the faith. And one of the common themes, the threads that consistently shows itself, is that these men and women spent time with the Lord. They spent time with the Lord. I think too often that we have made Sunday the only time that we spend time with the Lord. The biggest challenge comes from Monday to Saturday in our lives. Are we spending time with the Lord? Because as we hear sermons or as we sing songs, those things can't sustain us every day. That's not what we were built to eat on for every day. That's like saying, I'm just going to eat a big giant pizza every Sunday and not eat again until next Sunday. You will be hungry. You will be tired. If you're like me, you'll be grumpy. You know what I'm saying? And so we need the bread of God's word. We need the sustenance that God has when we sit in his presence and hear his voice. We would be a better people, a better family, a more loving family, a more bold and fearless family if we spent more time with the living Lord. As he storms in here, he also declares this truth, knowing that God will do what he says he would do. Howard Hendricks says, It is my personal conviction that Elijah knew that what God had promised, he was able to perform. And so point number six, what the Lord promises, he is able to perform. And I would even change that to not just able to perform, but that what the Lord promises, he will perform. He will perform. And God proves that. It says right there, whatever God said is what happened. Even the ravens and the food and the brook, all of that transpired in the life of Elijah. 
So we saw fearlessness. The fourth key is the key of power. And the Lord's power causes all other power to diminish. What's not commonly said as you just blazingly read through this, as you read through it quickly, and you blaze through the stories and the narratives, it's really easy to do that, right? As we have narratives and things, we can read through the stories often and not ask the question, well, what does that actually mean? Why is that important? Why would a drought be what God chooses to do? Why wouldn't he just strike Jezebel with lightning? Why wouldn't he just, like, have her assassinated? Why wouldn't God do something different? Because a drought was a, a punch in the face to the Baal God. God. Because Baal was the storm and thunder God. He was the one that everyone prayed for, for rain. He was the one that everyone prayed for, for the harvest. And it was interesting because Baal would die every winter and then come back to life and bring all the rain. Well, Another thing that flies in the face of Baal is what Elijah says, the Lord lives. He never dies. Your little weakling God that does the storms and the thunders, he, he dies. He's a weak little baby compared to our living Lord. And God is going to show you how weak your God is by stopping the rain. And God does it. The point was to say to all those who were worshiping Baal, especially Ahab and Jezebel, saying this thing, this person, this, this God that you're putting your faith in, it, it, he has nothing on the living Lord. You see, because the Lord's power causes all other power to diminish. This should remind us that when we find ourselves facing down something that seems intimidating, a circumstance that, that seems as if it can overtake us or seems to derail our faith, that when we look at Elijah's story and see how God, who lives, uses his power to fly in the face of those things that seem to have power. Are we listening to the Lord? Are we allowing him to overtake the other things in our lives that seem to be powerful? There are no circumstances in life that God is weaker than. There are no gods of this age that God is weaker than. God is the almighty, the all-powerful, the all-knowing. These are theological values. We can have good understanding of doctrine, but if we don't apply the doctrine of God is all-powerful, God is all-knowing, God is omnipotent, He is everywhere, then, then, then we're not getting it. Because this is where it all, where the rubber meets the road, is when we see our circumstances. Are we seeing God's power over and above all things? The Lord's power causes all other power to diminish. The fifth key that we see of living in faith-filled obedience is the key of provision. Where the Lord guides, the Lord provides. Now, I know that that's kind of a cheesy saying, but it is absolutely true. And it sticks in your mind because it rhymes, right? Rhymes and limericks and, and alliteration, they stick in our brains a little bit. And that's why you'll notice I do some alliteration. Because I want it to stick in your mind. Here, the Lord, where he guides, he provides. And we see this in the story of Elijah. After Elijah storms into the throne room and declares this powerful prophetic word, immediately God says, okay, now I want you to go to this other place. 
I want you to get, just run away. That's, that's a really weird thing to say to a guy who just said some really cool, awesome, powerful things. If I'm Elijah, I'm like, hold on, did you see Jezebel's face, God? She's like, it's time to go after it. It's time to do it. Come on, come on. And he's like, no, I want you to go to the place called Cherith, next to this Jordan. And that's where I'm going to take care of you. I'll provide for you. You need to wait. These three years, wait. And if I'm Elijah, I'm pushing back. But here he just, he goes. He obeys the voice of the Lord. And God leads him to a brook in another obscure place where there's obviously not going to be any animals for meat to eat and no fish in the brook for him to fish for. And God says, I'm going to do something pretty cool. I'm going to have some birds fly and give you food. You just sit there and wait for the next direction. And Elijah does. The Lord provided. These ravens brought him food. And this will be the only time in history I say that a raven is good. Because ravens are dirty, nasty animals, and they're a horrible football team. <laughs> it's Steeler season, what can I say? But where God guides, He provides every single time. If the Lord calls you to a place, if the Lord calls you to a situation, if the Lord calls you to a conversation, if the Spirit is speaking to you to do anything, he will give you the provision that you need in order to do it. Do we trust that he will provide? I have to be honest, as this was preaching to me, <laughs> I don't always trust that he's going to provide because it looks, looks kind of daunting. Like, really, I'm going to go into the middle of nowhere next to a thing of water and ravens are going to come feed me? I mean, they are, because they are unclean animals, that would seem like an awkward animal to choose to bring food to Elijah. But Elijah trusts. Elijah goes. Elijah obeys the voice of the Lord. Where God guides, God will provide. Don't make the mistake of not obeying the voice of the Lord like I did when I was 26. God has so much for you in your life. God has a purpose. God will fill you with the power that you need through the Holy Spirit. As we listen to the voice of the Lord, may we obey the voice of the Lord because He will bring the provision we need. I said there are six keys, and the sixth key that we see is the key of testing. That times of testing will come after times of triumph. Times of testing will come after times of triumph. You see the alliteration? It's lots of T's in there. And, and I, I've heard another pastor friend of mine, he actually preached a sermon a couple weeks ago where he talks about times of testing will come when we're in times of depression or sadness or weakness. When, you know, things are going bad, this, this testing will come. And, and I believe that's true, but I've found in my own life that the greatest times of testing come after God just did something great in my life. I'm like on this super high of what God has done, and then, whoop, my feet come out from under me. And it hurts. I'm like, 
Seriously? Now? But times of testing will come, and we need to be prepared for those times of testing in the good times and in the bad times. But we need to expect them in the good times. That's when we least expect it to happen. Times of testing will come. As Elijah was led to Cherith, which means cut off from the people, he was off away by himself alone. I mean, imagine being alone for three years, being told that you might be alone for three years. Eventually we see next week that he wasn't alone all those years. But he's in obscurity all by himself. And as he's sitting there getting the food from the ravens, he sees the brook slowly drying up. He's like, oh, better have a little less water today. Tomorrow, what's going to happen? I don't know. But here he had a test. Is he going to trust the Lord? Is he going to stay and remain until the Lord calls him to go to a different place? He just had this huge triumph, this wonderful victory as he declared this prophetic word. And here he is. He could possibly die of thirst. And you know what's really interesting about this? And, and this kind of just struck me as I was studying this passage in the last week or so, that the brook is drying up because Elijah prayed for the brook to dry up. He prayed that there'd be no rain. He said, Lord, let there be no rain. He knew that the Lord would stop the rain, which means that brooks and rivers would slowly diminish their water because they receive their water from the rain. And I wonder if he's sitting there, if Elijah's as cool as I thought he is, he might be saying, thank you, God, that I might not have water tomorrow. Could you imagine that moment? Because there's just deep trust here. He trusts God in the midst of the test. We don't see him complaining. We don't see him whining. Yet, he gets there. <laughs> but here he is, patiently waiting for the voice of the Lord in this time of testing. I know I've often prayed, Lord, I want to be holier. Lord, whatever you need to do to make me grow in my faith, do it. Have you ever prayed that prayer? The Lord loves to answer that prayer. And usually when I pray that prayer, times of testing come. And I'm like, well, that's not what I pray for, God. I just wanted you to put this, like, thing in my spirit where I'm super strong, like Superman. But that's not how it works. Times of testing transform and grow us. Howard Hendricks, the, the awesome preaching professor from Dallas Seminary back in the day, says, my friends, God is not simply interested in the impartation of your faith. He's interested in the de development of your faith. He knows that faith only develops under pressure. It only develops in the crucible. How can we prove faith? We step in the places that require faith. If I say, oh, my faith is strong, and you have, you know, thousands of dollars in your, in your checking account. Oh, yeah, God is strong. God is awesome. But then when those, those dollars start trickling away, and you're like, I might not be able to buy food tomorrow. Are you stepping in faith? Are you walking in faith saying, okay, I'm just going to stay by this brook until you tell me to go somewhere else? So it's times of the crucible that our faith is tested. And when we pray for our faith to grow, our faith will be tested. Some of you are like, I'm never going to pray that prayer now. But we need to. Our faith needs to grow. We need to be built up. 
And we see in the story, in the life of Elijah, times of testing can prepare us for even greater future triumphs. Because if our faith is grown, we will be put into even more situations that our faith is tested in a stronger place. And we'll see that Elijah has the opportunity to, to really embarrass the prophets of Baal. I can't wait to talk about that because it's really funny. I mean, Elijah is hilarious in that story. I want you to go and read it because he makes fun of them. He teases them. We'll talk about that in a moment, next week, two weeks from now. But let me challenge you to, to live into these six keys. The key of purpose, knowing that your origins don't define your ability. Prayer, spending time with the Lord in prayer, walking in fearlessness, walking in the power that God has for you, recognizing that He has provision, and realizing that tests will come to challenge your faith. But we need to simply walk in obedience. I know I say simply and it's not simple. But we can walk in obedience through surrender. So may we be people like Elijah who walk in faith-filled obedience. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your word. It's not always easy or rarely is it easy to apply. But I pray, Holy Spirit, that our hearts and our souls will be encouraged to walk in even greater faith as we have seen the story of Elijah. Encourage us, strengthen us, and may we be stronger in this world and speak out against those things that need to be spoken out against, like Elijah did. In your name, amen.